practical. There's so much here to feed our souls. It's more than just a little children's Bible story about Daniel. There's a question that must be answered after studying this chapter and preaching and teaching from this chapter. And the question is this, how to stand for God? How do you stand for God? Does Daniel in this story teach all of us a formula for standing for God in a hostile world? How can I be faithful to God without compromising? So many today are compromising in their faith. So many today are compromising from where they once stood firm. Yesterday I did a wedding. And I love to do weddings. But when I do weddings, I reflect back on a commitment that I made 27 years ago. A commitment that contained some words to my spouse where I said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness as in health, till death do us part. How many times have I witnessed that commitment and then seen that commitment broken? There seem to be so few that are really standing for God and keeping their commitment. Commitments to purity. Young people in college and school who at one time committed to purity. And if you've ever not stood for what you committed to, I encourage you to to commit again. Resolve again. Once and for all. Recommit if you will. But how many have committed and then seem to just sort of forget that commitment? Or throw it in the trash can? Or set it aside and compromise? What seems to be the problem exactly with all of that? And why are there so few people, especially Christians, keeping their commitments that they've made for God? Now, don't mistake me. I I believe they want to keep those commitments. I believe when they initially made that, there may have been some sincerity with that. And they, they want to do it. But isn't it true? When you have stood for God, when you came to that place in your life where you were tested and where your commitment to Christ was was tested and you, you did what was right, would not everyone in this building agree with me that there is a joy, a joy that cannot be explained, that when you were tested, when your stand for God was put to the test, you did the right thing, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, and it doesn't matter what anybody else did, you know in your heart you did what was right before God. There's no joy like that joy. So I want you to look at Daniel 6 with me, and let's find out in closing of this series, Standing for Christ in a Hostile World, when your faith is in the fire, how to stand for God. Now there's three groups of people in this story, and three groups only. The first one is simply this. You're going to see a faithful man, and that faithful man is Daniel. Daniel is an unusual character in in the day that he lived in, just like it it seems to be unusual today to find a faithful man. Does not the Scripture say, a faithful man who can find? It seems as if there is a crisis today in America of just simply faithful men. Men who stand. Men who say, I still 
do. And then you're going to find in the second, the second group in this story is a jealous mob. And that jealous mob is Daniel's co-workers. We're going to identify those co-workers in the first two verses of Daniel chapter 6. There's quite a few of them. To be exact, there's 122. And then the third group of people you're going to see in this story, and I say group, but really it's category, if you will. I should that probably better said, is this, a proud king. Don't we see that group all throughout Daniel? In other words, we saw Nebuchadnezzar. Last week we saw Belshazzar. This week we see a king by the name of Darius. King Darius. Now what's interesting is these three groups show up all throughout the story of Daniel. You see a faithful man. You see a jealous mob, a proud king. And then a few verses later, again, a faithful man, a jealous mob, a, a, a proud king. And then towards the end of the chapter, it, it, all of them show up again. A faithful man, a jealous mob, and a, and a proud king. And that truly are the role players in this story. This would be a great chapter for somebody to write a play for. And you could have these. These would be your characters. This is it. This is what we're going to look at. And you'll see it with me in just a moment. Look at Daniel chapter 6. Let's begin reading together as a church family. Uh, you follow along. And let's just study God's word together. This is the best part of the sermon. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these, over the 120 special leaders, there were three presidents, 123. But of those three, there was one. His name was Daniel. And he was what? He was first. He was first. That the princes might give account to them, and the king should have no damage. Darius trusted Daniel more than he trusted all of the presidents and all of the princes and all of the counselors and all of the leaders in the entire land. God, Darius trusted Daniel to protect him. He knew Daniel had his back. Then this Daniel was preferred. He was preferred above the presidents. He was preferred above the princes. Why? Why was Daniel so preferred? Why did Daniel... Uh, stick out, really, in, in a way that nobody else stuck out because he had, the Bible says, an excellent spirit. Now, to take that a step further, that excellent spirit there, if you were to study deeper into those words and, and to, to the meaning of that, it simply means this, because I, I can really relate to this, because I, I can see even more clearly why Daniel was so preferred, because he had a phenomenal attitude. He had a phenomenal attitude. I mean, Daniel was the guy that, that uh, he was the guy this morning that when you came to church, man, hey, listen, it was just a good day. It's a good day no matter what day it is. God's in control. He's on the throne. And no matter what happens in our lives, I mean, listen, it is just good because God is good and God is great and God is awesome. That's Daniel. Daniel just had one of those spirits about him, one of those phenomenal attitudes. It was just different from most people you would meet. Verse 3, the Bible says he had an excellent spirit and the king thought to set him over the whole realm because of it. Verse 4, then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. You know what happened here? They got jealous. 
They got jealous over Daniel because, because Daniel was preferred. And you know what I found out today? That when you live for God, when you've got an awesome attitude, when you've got an excellent spirit for God, when you're not ashamed of the gospel, when your spirituality, you wear it on the outside, not just on the inside, when you don't just hide it under a bushel, when you let the world know, not everybody's excited about that. In fact, sometimes you'll meet somebody that actually doesn't like you because you love God, and you let everybody know. Well, that was the problem here. They were jealous. The Bible says these presidents and princes sought to find some kind of occasion against Daniel, some kind of a flaw in Daniel, something they could say, yeah, right, he's a phony believer, he's a phony Christian. We're going to find something to throw him under the bus about. But look what it says. Verse 4, they could find no occasion or fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. They looked for some kind of a fault in his finances. They looked for some kind of a fault in his friends. They looked for some kind of a fault in his family. They looked for some kind of a fault in his character. They looked for some kind of a fault in his morality. They looked, I mean, they, 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 they tried to find any kind of dirt on this man. They could find nothing. And so, here's what they did. Verse 5. Frustrated. Then said these men, you know what, guys? We're just not going to find any occasion against this Daniel. We're not going to find anything unless, except, look at it, we find it against him concerning the law of his God. The only way we'll find something against Daniel will be we'll attack his faith. We'll attack his faith. We'll attack his belief in God. Then these three presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto the king, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom. Can you see how these whiners came to Darius and they said, we got everybody together, all 122 of us, every one of us got together and we discussed something and we want to tell you, king, what we've discussed. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the councils, the captains, we've consulted together, we got together, we talked about this to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. King, we came up with a great idea. We believe that anybody that doesn't bow down to you and pray to you should be cast into the den of lions. King, we feel like that's a really good idea. We all got together and agreed, King. Den of lions was a place of execution. These lions were not fed very well because the purpose of this den was that they would eat people who went against the law of the Medes and Persians. This was a pit, a deep pit, and at the bottom of that pit, there were hungry, ferocious lions. Now, O king, verse 8, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. In other words, if this law was signed, if this document was signed, it could not be revoked. That would have been the law of the Medes and Persians. If, if the king signed this document, there was no way it could change. 
Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. You know, as I was reading that this week, I stopped for just a moment and thought about this. Decisions made in haste are seldom good. Decisions made in haste are very seldom good decisions. You see, the king's going to regret this. There's going to come a time in this story where we see the king weeping and regretting his decision and wishing he would have thought about it. Wouldn't it have been better if King Darius would have said, uh, excuse me, guys, where's Daniel? I don't see Daniel here. Where's Daniel? Before we talk about this, before we make such a decree, could we get Daniel in on this conversation? And what the king did was he acted in pride. We talked about that last week. It just looked good. It was good for him. These guys were, had boxed him into a corner, and instead of standing, instead of waiting, instead of praying, he said, I'll sign it. And I feel as if there are many people today making hasty decisions and finding at the end of it, they wished they would have just taken more time to examine all the facts, to pray, to seek God. And to make an intelligent spiritual decision. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, verse 10. wonder what he's going to do. When he found out the writing was signed. When he found out that anybody who doesn't pray to King Darius is going to be cast into the den of lions. Here was his response. He went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he always did, as he did before, as he did aforetime. Daniel didn't just all of a sudden say, oh my goodness, this is not good. They're saying that if we don't pray to King Darius, we get cast into the, into the lion's den. Uh, I better start praying I think I'll take a stand. Daniel would not have taken a stand had he already been doing the right thing. Daniel prayed as he always did. This wasn't a different day for Daniel. This wasn't new for Daniel. Daniel just did what Daniel always did. Verse 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Can you see these three yahoos? Can you see these, or these two guys, or maybe 122? Can you see them with their binoculars? They're spying. Oh, hey, hey, guy, guy, we got him. We got him. There he is. Hey, look, look. Oh, oh, yeah. He's praying. Oh, yeah. Oh, we got him. So they get him. In verse 12, then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Can you, these, these guys are so, they're so weird. They're so childish. Can you hear them? Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? King, didn't you sign that, king? Didn't you do that, king? Uh, I thought you signed something. These guys are so, they're so lame. The king answered and said, yeah, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which, which, which cannot change. Then answered they and said before him, well, king, that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, and maketh his petition three times a day. King, uh, uh, Daniel is not doing what you said. 
Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. Man, I shouldn't have done this. Oh, I should have never signed that document. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. He took a whole day to do this. He labored till the setting of the sun. Most commentaries say that he went and got every lawyer he could find, the best lawyers in the land at that time, to see if there was any legal way out. Is there any way we can reverse this? Is there any way we can change this? But it cannot be changed. It cannot be revoked. It's the law of the Medes and Persians. Verse 15, then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statue which the king establishes may be changed. These guys must be driving him crazy. They just keep coming at him. Yep, 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 yep. King, we got to do this. We got to kill him. You know, king, you signed it. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel. Picture this with me, if you would. I don't think Daniel was fighting. I don't think he was... I think Daniel was just probably in shackles or maybe held tight by two pretty stocky guys, maybe. I don't know. Daniel's just walking towards the lion's den. And picture with me, if you would, Daniel looking over his shoulder at the king. Then the king commanded. They brought Daniel, cast him into the den of lions... But before he went into that den, the king spake and said, Hey, Daniel. Oh, Daniel. I hope that God that you serve continuously, I sure hope he's able to deliver you. You know what that indicates to me? Not so much that Darius believed in God, or not so much that Darius was even saved, because I know that he wasn't. He worshiped more gods than you've got teacups. Darius was wicked. You know what that tells me, though? That Darius was very familiar with the God whom Daniel served. God, Daniel worked in a secular workplace, but it was very evident that he was a Christian, and he made a strong impression on Darius. Question. Where you work and where you live and where you shop Do people know just how strong your faith is? Do you have such a strong testimony that if it really came down to it, you'd be the one somebody would be calling a lost person, a carnal person? Would you please pray? I don't know much about your God, but I need something. And I I was just wondering if you could possibly pray for me. Would you be that person? Would they know to call you? That was Daniel's testimony here. Verse 17. And a stone was brought... And laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace, and he passed the night fasting. Believe me, King Darius didn't fast, but tonight he did. And tonight he said, no partying, no instruments, no music, nothing. And he didn't sleep a wink. He couldn't sleep. But in the morning... 
a 62-year-old king. That's right, 62. If you look back to when Daniel was first written in Daniel chapter 1 up to this point, he's 62 years old according to the chronological years. And a 62-year-old man jumped out of bed and ran to the lion's den. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto David. And the king spake, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? And he waited. Silence, I believe. And he waited. And all of a sudden. Oh king. Live forever. And for the first time in this story. We haven't heard a thing from Daniel until now. And all he says is this. Hey king. My God sent his angel. And shut the lion's mouths. That they have not hurt me. For as much as before him. Innocency was found in me, king. And hey, king, also before thee, I've done no hurt. Church, you know what Daniel was teaching us here? In this moment of commitment to Christ, he said, king, I've done no crime. I've not hurt you. I've, listen, king, you may ask me to disobey God, but when you do, I will always obey God, and that's no crime. We're living in a day, church, you listen to me, where we're going to be asked to disobey God. The government will ask us to disobey God, and it is no crime to obey God when the government says to disobey. That's the point Daniel made, right? Hey, king, if you think... I'm coming out of this lion's den and going to say, well, I guess I'll start praying to you now. I'd rather stay right down here in this pit with these lions risking my life every day than to disobey my God. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. He trusted God. And the king commanded. And they brought those men which had accused Daniel. And they cast them into the den of lions. Their children and their wives. Wow, I can understand those men. But why the children? Why throw the kids? Why throw the wives? It's that stupid law, the Medes and Persians. Let me read you a little blip out of the out of the law of the Medes and Persians. On account of the guilt of one, all the kindred will perish. That was the law of the Medes and Persians. One man guilty, all the family perishes. How many of you are glad we didn't live back then? Just another amen for that. And the lions had the mastery of them, last part of verse 24, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Even before they reached the bottom of the den, these hungry lions, for which Daniel slept with, crushed their bones and ate them before they hit the pavement. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwelt in the earth. And I don't know how sincere this was. I don't know how sincere, but it was true. His words were true. I just don't know if they came from a sincere heart. Peace be multiplied unto you. 
I make a degree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And that was the text. Now let's make application. Listen to me, church. You see, what we normally do with the story about Daniel and the lion's den is we just give all this credit to God, to Daniel, and we think it's a cute little Bible story. But you know what we miss? This story is for us. The application is for us. So guess what? We're going to put Daniel over here. We're going to put the story over here for just a moment. And we're going to go to 2015 where you live, where you work, and where you go to school. And we're going to ask you this question. How to stand for God in this day? Five things. The first thing we see in this story is this. Number one, the first way to stand for God is establish consistency. Establish consistency. If you think for a moment that Daniel rolled out of bed and just passed this test, test, you're wrong. Listen, Daniel was successful in private before he was ever called upon to be successful in public. Write this down. There will never be success in the crisis until there is success in the process. There will never be success in the crisis until there is success in a process. You see, Daniel, did you see how many times in the story, if you were paying attention, how many times it said continually, continually, continually? This was not a new thing for Daniel. Daniel had a consistent walk with God. In the process I'm talking about, there will never be success in the crisis until there is success in the process is this. A faithful, consistent walk with God. I'm talking about a time every day where you meet with your creator and read your Bible and pray. You know, sometimes we make much of deep doctrine songs and I hear people say, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. A little arrogant sometimes, but I only like to sing songs with doctrine in it. Well, let me give you some really deep doctrine. Ready? For you pious, pharisaical doctrine song people only. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Don't read your Bible, forget to pray, forget to pray, forget to pray. Don't read your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. How would you like that in worship next week, you know? (laughs) Don't do that, Joe, okay? (laughs) But it's a good song because it truly is what Daniel did. Every single day, he went through a process of walking with God. Can I say this? If you're not faithfully walking with God, it is only a matter of time before you fall and before you fail. It's not if, it's when. You will fall. You will fail if you don't have this walk with God. Let me give you two things to help you establish consistency in your life. 
Number one, the first way to do that is to establish consistency with a private pattern. A private pattern. In other words, have an appointment with God every day. A regular time you meet with God. Kind of like, you know, you take a shower in the mornings, right? And most men in this room would not leave the house without taking a shower. Prayerfully, hopefully, amen. Especially on Sundays when we got to sit next to you. So we've got these appointments, right? I mean, if you were to look at my outlook on my phone, you would see, wow, pastor, you're busy next week. You got a lot going on. You got a 10 o'clock and an 11 o'clock and a 1 o'clock and a 2 o'clock and a 3 o'clock. Those are appointments. Those are on my calendar. If I miss one of those appointments with you, then more than likely you're going to be upset with me. You're going to say, you know what? If pastor doesn't care enough about me to come to meet on an appointment, well, Scott, I'd do this and I'm I'm just not even going to come back. You know, we love for people to keep their appointments, don't we? God's wondering where his appointment is. You got him on your outlook? This morning I woke up at 5.58. Might as well just give you the exact time. I don't know why. Some, I just like to wake up at weird times. I try to set my clock for 5.51, 5.53, 5.58, whatever. I'm usually a 5.50-er. You say, well, it's Sunday, preacher. You don't have to worry about it. You got a sermon. You're going to preach. You can count that as your walk with God. You see, I don't want to step behind this pulpit and open God's word and preach in the flesh. You see, most people go to church in the flesh because we look at church as just, let's just come to church, sit, soak, and sour. Let me just check it off my list. Church, check. I'm only here to connect with people anyway. Just trying to connect, you know, with a business deal or maybe get to know somebody. I'm looking for the pretty girls. And so what happens is many preachers today will stand in the pulpit because I know I've been one of them and decided, you know what, I'm okay this morning. But I found out the hard way that the satanic attack on a preacher when he preaches is too much for him to handle alone. The oppression that I experience every Sunday morning when I look out into the audience and I know some people don't pay attention. I know some people are looking at their phones. It is hard for me sometimes because you know how much you want the message to be heard. And so you feel safe in telling you they're not listening. They're not getting it. They don't care. I know you do care and I appreciate the times you do tell me. But listen, I I promise you this is not easy to do and I've got to have God to do it right. And so every morning... I know I've got to meet with God. I've got to have that time with God. I've got to have that quiet time with God. I've got to have that prayer time with God. It's so important. No one is great for God publicly who is not first great with God privately. So straight up. Isn't that how we say it today, young people? Straight up. How's your walk with God? Straight up honest. Reading your Bible and praying every day? Straight up. Don't give me your rationalization. Don't give, well, I, you know, I do it late at night. Okay, maybe. I still recommend the mornings. When we put God off until the last hour of the night, oftentimes, I know because I've tried to do this one time. I, I tried to be one of you night people. And man, when I get tired, I just can't give God my best. I'm not saying it's wrong. So please, no emails this week. 
on that at least. But I am saying this. Please consider with me putting God at the first part of your day. Number two. Establish consistency, first of all, with a private pattern. Secondly, establish consistency with public confession. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything such as or known as, is there anything, is there such a thing as an undercover Christian? Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't tell anybody. Nobody knows. You know what my Bible says about people who say they're a Christian but are undercover? It says this, they're not a Christian. It's impossible. That's why the Bible says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. That's what that means. That's what that's all about. It is not possible to be an undercover Christian. Paul said in Romans 1.16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone. Every single believer is not ashamed. Non-believers, ashamed. Undercover, hiding under a bushel. But believers want to shout it from the rooftop. We want the world to know. Amen. You see, many people don't fly the flag of their faith because they don't want to hold to the standard. But you know what's interesting about Daniel is how could he not have stood and prayed because there was a consistent pattern in Daniel's life. Daniel consistently established Every day in his life, a time with God. And for Daniel, it was just another day. Another day. It just so happened that particular day, his stand would have costed him his life. Number two, not only should we establish consistency, but secondly, expect opposition. How do you stand for God? You've got to expect not everybody is going to like it you got to expect opposition. Some people wrongly believe that following Christ is less hardship. Some people wrongly believe that following Christ is less hassle. That's wrong. It's it's not less. It's not easier. So, So where does opposition come from? When you stand for Christ, it comes from family sometimes. It comes from friends sometimes. Champion students in the room today, it comes from roommates. Someone says, yeah, but I thought this was a Christian college. I thought this was a Christian school. I told a student last week, just because it's a Christian school doesn't mean everybody in it is Christian. I wish they were. It'd be great if it could always be that way. But sometimes you even have to stand in an environment like church or a college or a school. Sometimes... Opposition comes from co-workers, the government, carnal Christians, classmates. What kinds of opposition are there? Well, there's relational rejection. Sometimes when you take a stand, you need to expect relational rejection. Excuse me, but I, I really do get tired of hearing this, especially from young people. Well, I just don't want them to not like me. Well, I don't necessarily want them to not like me either, but I want to please God over them liking me. And I say that nicely, but students, let's get rid of that one. Let's get rid of this fear of, I just don't want them, I just don't want them to think it's me. I don't want them to know that I'm the one taking the stand. Relational 
rejection. Secondly, career restriction. Not a problem. I had a precious lady come up to me after the first service. We had a great first service, and it's growing. And she came up to me, and she said, Preacher, pray for me. I'm teaching in this particular Christian school, and they've told me that because of their, some things they've got set up in their bylaws that I can no longer pray in Jesus' name at a Christian school. She said, I can no longer say certain things and quote certain verses. And she said, after your message this morning, I've got to go there tomorrow and turn in my resignation, or I've got to tell them I'm going to get them. She's really back, pray for her. But she said, when you said career restriction, when you said that, I thought, man, that's where I'm at. I'm at a place where I either compromise or I stand for my faith. Number two, social isolation. Bring it on. Sometimes you're all alone. Sometimes you find yourself, you know, it's not fun. I'll admit that. But you know what? When you're pleasing God, there is a joy even if you're the only one. And then personal hostility. Sometimes it means bodily harm. Sometimes there's going to be a gun to our heads. Are you a Christian? Number five, satanic oppression. Satan will come against you if you stand for God. That's why the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Number three, and this is the hardest one, maintain consistency. Hardest part. Don't abandon your patterns when the crisis comes. Maintain. Keep going. Hey, have you ever had anybody say this to you, Brother Greg? Have you ever had anybody say, hey, Brother Greg, keep on keeping on. Isn't that a kind of familiar? I love that one. I love Because you know what we need? We need persevering faith. We live in a day where too many Christians have just given up. We just, it's too hard. It's too much. It, and honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. We have no idea in America what hard is. But we say that. Persevering faith is what we need 365 days a year. January 1, January 5, February 10, March 11. I mean, all the way through the year. Let's be consistent. Let's maintain consistency. If we're going to stand for God, we've got to be consistent. Keep our patterns. Keep coming to church. Keep going to small group. Keep on praying. Keep on reading your Bible. Don't, don't just be half in and half out. You know, we have a, a, a mission statement at our church, and it's, 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 it's detailed, and it's got some depth to it, and it sounds really fancy. But about a year ago, I quoted this mission statement that, that from an African-American church, and it's not as fancy as ours, and it's not as deep as ours, and it doesn't have a lot of doctrine in it, but I like it. Here it is. You ready? Wake up, sing up, pray up, and pay up, but never give up or let up or back up or shut up until the cause of Christ is built up in this world. I mean, honestly, I like it. It says it all. <laughs> and maybe that's what we need. Maybe that needs to be true about gospel light. Number four, quickly. Number four, how to stand for God? Suffer in silence. Suffer in silence. You know what's amazing about this story? How can you not help but to notice... That Daniel barely said a word. He said some little old something in verse number 21. 
And then he said a little few words in verse 22, but that's it. Daniel didn't say while he was being taken to the lion's den, hey, you'll get yours, king. You'll get yours. Yeah, you wait and see what God does. He's going to put you. I think we've got way too much talking going on. Christians, talk, 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 talk. You know, personally, one of the reasons why I feel like it has become a good thing that we don't gather as a corporate gathering so often anymore. We gather at this church all the time. I mean, if you want to be busy, if you want to go to Bible study, there's so much opportunity. But we only have the Sunday morning sermon. We have this public gathering. You know what? At first, it was hard for people because they wanted to come sit and hear the preacher lecture. A lot of people wanted three, four, five, six sermons a week. But I got to the place where I just realized I'm doing a whole lot of talking, but there's not a whole lot of doing going on. And I just feel like that, you know what, church, could I just make a suggestion? Could we just take this sermon that I spent about 20 hours preparing? Could we possibly take this sermon and just live it? You know, before we come back Sunday night, we had five hours to process the first sermon. Why don't you just take some time tonight with your family to process this sermon? I think we need to do less talking and more doing. Less talking and more living it out. Less gathering together and lecturing one another and more going out into this world and shining our lights. That's what Daniel did. He shined his light bright. And I thank God for that. And then number five, and I'm done. Wait, wait for deliverance. Wait. It's coming. Wait. Now for Daniel, how long did Daniel wait? He waited all night. Remember? They threw him in the lion's den and the king went to sleep, right? And the king fasted. And the king said, no music. He woke up in the morning and he ran to the lion's den. So for Daniel, he waited all night. Some of you in this room, you've been waiting a long time. There's been some things you've given to God. There's been some commitments you've made to God. And you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Some of you are waiting on God for a life's partner. And man, it's just, you're still waiting. You're like, God, man, I don't know. I just, and you're about to throw in the towel and. Just go ahead and say, you know what, I'm just going to go whatever. Go to the bar, go find some chick, go just do whatever. It don't matter. I'm just going to go on the Internet and see what I can get worked up on the Internet. God's not coming through. Take a deep breath and just wait. God's got that taken care of. Some of you are waiting on God to start a family. Maybe you've had a miscarriage. Maybe you just can't figure out. It just hasn't happened. It just, I don't know why. And I don't know, but, but I, I'm, I, and you're at a place where you're really discouraged. Wait. Some of you are all alone in your marriage. And you know, Brother Mike, they know this, that there's some people in this room that they want to come to the I Still Do conference, but they know their spouse won't come. I had a lady tell me this week, pray for me. I go to church with my kids while my husband stays home and watches football and drinks beer all Sunday morning. 
Gospel light. Gospel light. Pastor, it gets really hard to come home. I want so badly to share the sermon with him, but he doesn't want to hear it. I say to that precious lady this morning, wait. Wait. God knows. Some of you are waiting on your child to come back to God. He left a year, two years, five years, or maybe more. And you've been praying and you've been pleading with God, please, God, oh, God, please get a hold of his heart. God, get a hold of her heart. And it hasn't happened yet. Keep on praying till the light breaks through. The Lord will answer. He'll answer you. God keeps his promise. His words are true. Just keep on praying till the light breaks through. And so the question this morning is this, how strong is your faith? For some people in Oregon, obviously, when 26-year-old Christopher Harper Mercer burst into that classroom at Umpqua Community College and demanded his Christian victims identify themselves before being executed, nine people were killed and seven wounded in the gun-free zone. Harper Mercer was asking people one by one what their religion was. Are you a Christian, he would ask them. And if you're a Christian, stand up. They would stand up and he said, good, because you're a Christian. You're going to see God in just about one second. And then he would shoot them in the head and kill them. Said Stacy Boylan on Friday, CNN reported, Boylan's daughter was wounded in the attack and survivor Courtney Moore, 18, gave the same exact similar account. She was in the school. Wow. I don't know if anybody this week will face that kind of a stand. But Madison, you might have to stand for God at work. Or Bree, Dylan, you might have to stand for God in the dorm room. You know, it may not be this week that we face that. But could we just be consistent and stand for God with whatever test is put into our life this week? Let's be humble. Let's be silent. But let's do the right thing. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With heads bowed and eyes closed. I would like to ask each one of you today.